Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. I wonder how you're doing. We're stepping into 22. We have stepped into 22. Um, we have, as a church, existed this week. We will uh, celebrate our fourth anniversary, which is uh, a bit of a, uh, I was going to say surprise. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a, um, um, shall I say, the challenges that we've had in the last four years uh, seemingly just didn't end. And uh, I know this is true of any organization you start. There are challenges and along the way, but boy, we've had them one after another. And uh, it's not unique to just us, but we just happen to have started a church in the last four years. It's two years uh, on the 12th this week. It'll be two years that we're in this location. And sometimes uh, the staff and I, we, we kind of walk around this place and we think, we can't believe we're here. Like, we, we had uh, no place to go after the Goshen Theater except that we had made some moves early on and uh, purchased this property. Otherwise, we'd have been homeless for a bit. And so we were really grateful for the provision of God. And in all of that, I think back to, well, why did we or why are we gathering here this morning? Like, I don't know why you're here. Why are you in this space this morning? Why did you come? Did you come kicking and screaming? Or did you just walk in and kind of decide, hey, maybe I'll just go to church this morning? I really don't care what your reason is. I'm just glad you're here. But I think that's something that's valid for us to think about every once in a while. What's the reason I'm getting up early on Sunday morning when I could be sleeping in and actually making my way to R5M at the corner of 5th and Madison? Why do I do this? Or if you're at home this morning, welcome. So glad you're there. But you may be at home this morning and you too had to do something. You had to turn the power on on your computer or your phone, throw it to the TV. And yeah, you get to sit there in your pajamas or something, which is pretty awesome. Uh, but it took effort. And you're investing in your future by spending some time with us this morning and considering of what your relationship with Jesus looks like, just as we who are in the room this morning are doing as well. So uh, when an organization starts, we often start with what's our mission? What's our vision? And let me just remind us this morning that our mission is to know Jesus and our neighbor. This is not new news. To know Jesus and our neighbor is simply following the highest rule of law that Jesus gave us. It's simple. Do this and all the other rules are, are brought together in this one, to love Jesus and our neighbor. Our vision. So when we talk about vision, it's about a preferred future. It's not like we've arrived, but we're looking at the future and we're saying, this is the vision we have for our preferred future. This is who we hope to become. And along the way, we become that thing because we have vision for what can and will be. I'm reminded, well, okay, so some of you, some of you do the one word thing for every year. Like, so maybe you believe God gave you a word for this year, for 2022. 
And uh, that's awesome. If that, if that is a thing that you do, that's, it's great. It's a way of, of, of creating vision for the year that you're living into. Just one word. And I don't usually have a word, and I don't know that I have one. I don't know. But the word restore is the name of our church, right? Some people have said, why did you call it restore? Well, we believe that we are an agent that will bring the church, the local church can be an agent to bring restoration to all that is wrong in the local community, in all that is wrong in the world. We can be, and we are called to be an agent of change, an agent that brings restoration everywhere we go. And so the word that I, that I, that it just kind of came to me in the last week was that I believe this is a year when restoration will happen. Joel, Joel chapter 2, the prophet Joel writes this in the Old Testament. He's, he, he's speaking to the children of Israel, but he says, I will repay you. This is a word from God. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. How many years have the locusts had you for lunch? How many years have the locusts been getting you in the backside because you've had a variety of paths you've gone down which haven't fulfilled the dreams that you've thought you had. God's promise is that we put our faith in him and he will restore those years. It may not look exactly like you thought it would, but God is a God of redemption. He's a God of restoration and he will restore what has been taken from you. Here's our vision. Restoration and peace are hallmarks of Restore Church, a community church that gathers to worship, is empowered to serve, and invests in relationships. To know Christ is our ultimate goal, to live and grow infused by his spirit, acting on behalf of our local and global neighbors is our next move. Therein lies where we believe we're headed. Therein lies the vision that we have for our community church that we would become these kinds of people that bring healing and restoration wherever we go. This is who we're becoming. And we're taking these, uh, these next eight weeks. And um, as I recap the mission and vision, it's a kind of all-encompassing in where we're headed this next eight weeks because, because we're taking a look at the foundations of our faith. We're talking about stuff that really matters in the development of, our, um, of, our, of a vibrant and authentic Jesus-following life. This is not the stuff that we're talking about. This is not the stuff of child's play. This is not the things that, well, maybe we can and can't do or don't need to do. No, these are the, kind of the basics of our faith. And so if you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, well, what am I having to do? I've been following Jesus for 40 years. Why do I need to hear this again? Good question. But maybe the wrong question, maybe the right question would be, how can I get some new perspective on what it means to follow the way of Jesus? Because you know what? Anytime you do something for a really long time, sometimes we get really lackadaisical in our attempts at living out the way of Jesus. Sometimes we get really lazy in our jobs because, well, we've done it over and over and over, and we get lazy and we become less effective than what we thought we were. So if there's anything more important than faith, I'm not sure what it is this morning. I don't know that there's anything that informs our lives any more than our belief system. 
What we believe is significant and important and will determine the outcome of our lives. And so, this fall, this past fall, we did sort of a pilot program with the curriculum called Starting Point. If you've been around here very long, you know, you've heard about it. We took eight weeks and we did table crews in the lounge, about 50 of us, went through this curriculum because we were looking for a way to help all of us take next steps in our uh, journey with Jesus. How do we learn more about who God is and who he says we are? And this is one of the ways that we're uh, adopting into our, um, I don't know that we're calling it a discipleship journey, but is sort of some steps that we can take as a church to um, not to say, oh, I've graduated, now I'm good, but to deepen our walk, not just with Jesus, but with each other. And so instead of assuming that all of you and all of you online are going to come to Table Cruise, we're just gonna like level the playing field and all of us will go through this over the course of the next eight weeks. And uh, we'll have a variety of uh, teachers and preachers up here bringing this and um, I believe it will be a powerful uh, eight-week journey for us. Okay, so well, some of the things that sometimes happen to us in our development of faith or when we're talking about our faith experience with other people, there are some roadblocks that come up and I'm just gonna name two of them. One of them is um, that we have a tendency to overcomplicate or the flip side is oversimplify um, our faith experience, our faith journey. Oversimplify, overcomplicate. We've got extremes, right? Oh, you don't have to do anything. Like you're just, you just like say yes to Jesus and the rest of your life, you're just good to go. You can do whatever you want, but you're saved from hellfire because you've said yes to Jesus, but you can live the way you want. And the other side is, oh, you said yes to Jesus? Well, now you gotta do this, 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 and this if you uh, intend to say that you're a Christian and you got to follow all these rules and we overcomplicate things. I love the idea that we sort of take a middle of the road and we don't, uh, we don't subscribe to a set of rules necessarily, except for the one I just mentioned, which is to know Jesus and your neighbor, to love God and love others. That's the one we subscribe to. And we, uh, we also don't go on the other side and say, you do whatever you want. Live however you want. No, there are some prescribed ways. Read Matthew 5, and you'll see the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins to preach the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Follow, the, follow what his teachings, and uh, you'll understand what I mean by not living in the two extremes, but being in a place where we can follow the way of Jesus and not overcomplicate and not oversimplify. Number two is um, this thing of, uh, another roadblock is this thing of exercising our faith in a way that is authentic and with humility. We have such a big issue with this, don't we? Like, I'm right, you're wrong, and my way or the highway. And if you don't believe the way, exactly the way I believe, if you don't work your faith out exactly the way I work it out, then I can't be friends with you. And I can't even have a conversation with you. Get out of my space. Lead with your faith, with love, with humility. And I'm, th I'm throwing authenticity in there with it. But if your authentic self is a jack wagon, well, maybe you should take it back seat a little bit until you get the jack wagon-ness out of you 
and then proceed forward and then share your faith and then describe yourself as a follower of Jesus. A couple roadblocks for those you might interact with. This series is a series where questions are welcome. Nothing is off limits. In fact, let me just give you a... I'm going to give you my phone number. I've never done this before. I'm going to give you all my phone number, all of you online. 574. Nobody wants it. 538-9587. 574-538-9587. Nobody wants it. I mean, maybe you want it, but you can go back online and look for it online. It'll be there. Go on YouTube, watch the service, and you'll see the phone number. If you have questions, if you need clarification, about anything. Look, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I just know that maybe there's an additional conversation that's needed sometimes. And if you have a question about a weekend message, uh, shoot me a text and I'll do the best I can to bring you some clarity on the question. The other thing I want to tell you about is that Cruise is our version of small groups, but Cruise are starting uh, next week. And they'll follow the weekend messages, and there'll be discussions around the weekend messages. They will include this book, which has a spot for note-taking, has all kinds of good stuff in it. It gives you um, actual discussion questions to have with your crew. There'll be some of those gatherings starting next week. And uh, you should love to have you go see Jordan in the lobby right after service, and he can uh, talk to you about what's available. So we're doing, uh, we're doing starting point. Here we go. Starting point. I wonder if you recall that everything has a starting point. Your first day of school, your first date, your first kiss, first job. Those were all starting points, were they not? Now, not all firsts are created equal. I mean, take a look at, I mean, they're not all created equal because um, some of them are just the first of a, a whole string of similar experiences, like going to school. You have your first day of school. And then you have another first day of school and another first day of school for many, many years after that, right? Others represent the starting point to a brand new experience that will never be replicated again. Now, some of those that are first-timers would be like, like for example, if you're married... That first date led to something else, right? If you are parents, if you have kids, you know that first kiss led to something else, right? <laughs> Your first job, do you remember that first job? Woo. Did you ever get fired from your first job? <laughs> I might have. Faith has a starting point, too. Faith has a starting point. My starting point with faith was I was spoon-fed faith from the time I was a little boy. I don't remember ever a time in my life where faith was not part of it. But even in that journey... Like, so it's, there's something different about, so we had, we had a set of, um, oh boy, this is going to age me, Uncle Arthur's Bible storybooks. Anybody else have those in their home growing up? Yeah, there's a few of us. 
that's a great place to start. My reading as a little boy, well, I, I, I wore those books out. I was intrigued by the stories. I was intrigued by this God that showed up in the middle of these stories about things that happened mostly kind of in the Old Testament. There was a lot of Old Testament stories. But do you know that our childlike faith can only be sustained for a period of time before that childlike faith needs some support? I mean, I can read those storybooks. I can, and they're, I don't believe, I, it's not that I don't believe they're true. It's just that when you're a child and you're told God loves you, he hears your prayers, uh, he uh, judges evil and rewards good. What else are we told? We're told things like, if you pray, he hears you. And then somewhere north of 18, many of us come to the conclusion that everything we've learned as a little child kind of has a question mark for us. Huh. I don't know about that. See, now there are some of you in the room this morning that have not, and some of you online this morning that didn't grow up the way I grew up. You didn't grow up with a, a Bible spoon in your mouth. This may be the first time in a long time that you showed up in a place where they're even talking about faith. Maybe this is the first time ever. And maybe you were growing up and, and you had experiences in your neighborhood. And you had experiences uh, at school that sort of informed you a little bit about God and Jesus and maybe even the Holy Spirit. But you didn't grow up with being spoon-fed this idea of faith or this experience of faith. And so I, I think that when we get to the age where we begin to have to own this thing of faith, we begin to ask questions like, if God is good and all-powerful, why doesn't he do more to stop the evil in the world? Why does prayer seem like such a shot in the dark? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why are Christians kind of jerks a lot of times? Why are they judgmental and mean? And on and on and on. A multitude of questions about why, if God is all of this, does all of this happen? For some of us, as our faith shrank, as our doubt escalated and solidified, you may have run into people that had an uncanny level of faith. They, no matter what happened, they were authentic they were expressive about their faith. They were unmoved, and yet they were honest. They were humble. And when you met those people, maybe, just maybe, you began to doubt your doubt. Maybe the things that you thought weren't quite lining up 
weren't quite as front and center as you thought. All right, so wherever you're at this morning, I've kind of described a number of different scenarios. Whether you're starting, you're returning, or maybe you're at some other point. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, whether you're faith-filled or faith-less, you're here, and we're glad you are. And I believe that together over these next eight weeks, we're going to consider the possibility of living with faith, strong faith, faith that, sur- that, that, that survives um, the realities of life, this broken life that we live here on earth, the things that don't go right, the things that happen that are out of our hands. Can our faith not just survive, but actually thrive in those circumstances? I believe the answer is yes. I believe the answer is yes. Philip Yancey says that faith is trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Faith is trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. What do you have faith in? Because you've got faith in something. What are your plans for tomorrow? Do you have faith that tomorrow your plans will be fulfilled? You better. You better be making plans for tomorrow. You're you're assuming that you're going to get up in the morning, you're going to brush your teeth, comb your hair, maybe take a shower, and you're going to show up at your place of work, and you're going to drive there. You're going to get behind the wheel of a motorized vehicle and drive yourself to a place where you will earn some money. Do you know how much faith that takes? You know how much belief that takes? We all have faith in something. You know what hasn't worked in recent history? Is this, this phrase. Well, that's what the Bible says. The Bible, the, there's a kid's, kid's song. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. The Bible says so. I wish it was that simple. I wish I could just simply say, well, that's what the Bible says. Many people have tried that and have been less than successful. See, storybooks storybooks and stories from the Bible, they stoke faith, but they don't sustain faith. They stoke your faith. They give you a reason to think about, okay, how does that work? And how does that practically work out in my life? But the, susten- the, the, the sustaining faith is not found in just reading the stories. So if you, if you consider what happened when, uh, when the first church was formed, the very first Christians, see, they didn't have a book. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't support their faith with the Bible because it wasn't what the book said, but what happened that they put faith in. Here's a key point. You can either... Read about it, or you can experience it for yourself. Read it or experience it. Reading it is one thing. Experiencing it is very different. So we have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. 27 books in the New Testament. The New Testament contains four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are the words and teachings of Jesus. And you know they were written soon after Jesus died. But they weren't assembled as a, as a, uh, as a book, as a, as a New Testament, until many years later. And so when we think about 
our gathering this morning and we think about the opportunities we have and the resources that we have to, I mean, we've got the Google, right? We've got books. We've got everything we need to fill our minds with knowledge. But knowledge without practically working it out, without experience, is just knowledge. Knowledge does not change your life unless you put that knowledge into practical use. And so we can read about the, we can read the Bible, but putting it into actual experience, experiencing God, experiencing Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit to do some work that only he can do in our lives is where the rubber really hits the road. You know, the, the early church, the starting point of faith was not because the Bible says so. The starting point of faith was something else entirely. And uh, that starting point of faith can be the place where you and I as adults, it can serve as our starting point for faith as well. I'm going to turn uh, to Acts chapter 2. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to hear this word from Peter in his first message um, after Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to turn to, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, verse 17. I need a few more fingers the way it feels. Uh, Verse 17. Here we go. This is Peter's word. And so Peter's not reading from a scripture. He's not reading from the Bible as he stands before the people. But he's, he's speaking these words out of a place of experience. And listen what happens. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Now he is quoting from the Old Testament there. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. By the time that Peter was done prophesying and preaching to that crowd before him on that first, for that first sermon, they said, brothers, what should we do? Because he went on to say, this Jesus that you crucified, he has risen from the dead. And their response was, what do we do now? What do we do? And Peter replies, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Peter preaches this message. And about five years later, Paul, who was Saul at that point, was on the Damascus Road. And had this experience with Jesus. Paul was a, pros- a persecutor of the Christians. He was a Pharisee, of, 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 to his own admission, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like he was learned, he was a Roman citizen as well as a Jewish. Um, uh, his heritage was Jewish, but he was a Roman citizen. So he had a lot of things going for him. He was a powerful man. And he was out to make sure that the Jewish religion would remain pure. And so he was getting rid of and persecuting the the small church that had begun after the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
So that's what he was doing when he got this experience with Jesus. Jesus identifies himself, and uh, you can read all about it. Um, but that was about five years after Peter preached that message. And then 15 years later, about 15 years later, the Apostle Paul is planting churches in the area of the Mediterranean, and he finds himself with time on his hands in Athens, Greece. And I'm going to pick it up in chapter 17 of Acts, verse 16. So Paul is apparently by himself in Greece, waiting for uh, Timothy and Silas to join him. And while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Let me pause for a second. We read this and we assume that, um, well, let me read the next verse. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. So we read this. And we assume that, oh, he was just going to go to the high council of the city to go just have another conversation as in a debate like he's had with the uh, people in the, in the, the public square. Uh, some theologians point to this and say, actually, probably not, actually, because uh, while he was in a city that it was that it had tons and tons, like all kinds of different gods and all kinds, whatever you want to believe is okay. Just like make a shrine and worship it. While that was the case, this idea that he was bringing to the forefront, that there is a idea that there's a one God, there is one God and no other God that is relevant to our lives was new. This is entirely new. And so the likelihood of him going before the highest council in the land just to have a conversation was probably not it. It's very likely that he was going there to defend his life instead of just to have a conversation. Let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. He was going there to defend his life. So Luke, it seems he downplays it a little bit in his writing, but I think Luke probably, you know, sometimes you go to the front of the city council and you want to speak uh, about a certain matter and they'll say, okay, we're starting the clock. You have two minutes, go ahead and speak. And at the end of that two minutes, you sit down, whether you're finished or not. Luke writes it like he was in front of the city council for, or this, this high council of the land for a two minute conversation when in fact he may have spoken for two hours. But that's all we get. Luke didn't have time to put that all into this book apparently. So he's standing in front of the high court, and he says, Men of Athens, this is uh, verse 22. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. This is the one I am telling you about. Now, it's not going to be on the screen, but verse 27, I want to read to you. I want you to receive this because no matter where you are in your faith, here's what Paul says to this group, and this is what I believe with all my heart. 
God's purpose was for the nations to seek after him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. God's purpose for you this morning is perhaps to find him, to feel your way toward him, find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. So I don't know who is feeling like God is very far from you this morning. I don't know if you're here this morning and and you're online this morning and you have a sense that God has no clue you exist. Let me just say, let me just say that if you lean into Jesus, he is never far away from you. For in him, we live and move and exist. See, as, as Paul is standing in front of the Athenians, He's standing in front of people that are looking for some framework within which to make sense of the world. We're all doing that. We're trying to figure out the world. How does this all work? Like most people in their culture, they believed in a pantheon of gods. They had gods everywhere. But they recognized that their knowledge base about those gods might have a few gaps in it. And so they had a god that was unnamed. An unnamed god. It was sort of like an, a just-in-case God. And just in case we missed one, there it is. Do you have one of those? Do you have one of those? Because we can look around our city this, today, and we can say, we don't have any gods. Like, where are these gods? Well, this afternoon, the NFL's playing. And I would beg to differ. I think we've got a stadium full of worshipers. I think if you walk out into our parking lot, we've got some nice cars out there. I think we've got a parking lot full of potential gods. How about those threads you're wearing? I'm not advocating nakedness around here, right? I'm just saying, like, what are you worshiping? How about your ability to articulate the next step for your organization? How about the work that you do? The thing that you have done for 40 years and you're, you can do it in your sleep. What matters most to you? What has your heart? What do you worship? What do you put your faith in? Because faith has a starting point. And maybe, just maybe, you need to rethink and recalibrate your faith experience. And maybe, just maybe, maybe you need a new starting point, a new place to say, that is when I put my trust in Jesus. That is when I put aside everything else to follow the way of Jesus. Reading and, ex- and, and experiencing are two different things. Sometimes when I'm reading something, I viscerally experience something. But unless I, again, put that information into my, my experience, if I experience that, it is just knowledge. And in all of saying all of this, it's not that the Bible isn't important. Should we memorize scripture? Yes, that's a good thing. 
But as a child, memorizing scripture, by the way, our kids department does an amazing job with this. Your kids have Bible verses that they are memorizing. And I'll tell you that some of the verses I memorized as a child, I remember as an adult, those are all good practices. But as I got older, sometimes those verses came to me and I had to actually live them out in certain circumstances. So never, never dismiss the learning. It's not what I'm doing here. Never dismiss the learning. But the Bible itself is not going to save you. The Bible itself is not where we, where we put our feet, where we ground our faith. The Bible tells us about the one that we stand in. The Bible tells us about the one that redeems us and restores us and brings us into right standing with him. His name is Jesus. The Bible informs us of who Jesus is and who we are because of him. The Athenians had never heard the name Jesus. But you and I, we've all heard his name. He's a central figure in our faith tradition. Our Christian faith, he is this central figure. If Jesus didn't die, didn't rise again, then we're all fools and living for a dark eternity. Other faith traditions, they embrace Jesus as well as one among peers. But I'm telling you this morning, Jesus has no peers. He is like no other. His name is above all names. And his teachings, they have shaped nations, yet he never traveled more than 100 miles from his birthplace. Jesus never wrote a book. He never raised an army. And he spent all of four years in, in the public square before being crucified by Rome. Jesus today is still the subject of books, movies, debates, and countless conversations all over the world. Who is he? Who is Jesus? What makes his life and teachings unique? What sets him apart? Why do millions of people around the world from all different cultures, all different tribes, continue to follow him? See, the norms of his day said, love your friends and hate your enemies. Do unto others before they do it to you. Heard that one. But he was the one that taught us to pray and to give, to live generously, not for the applause of man, but for the applause of heaven. He is the one that said, love your enemies, and by the way, find ways to serve them. Jesus showed us that counterculture was the journey that he was initiating for those that would follow him. Don't become so acclimated to the culture around you that you see that there's no difference between you and those in the culture around you. These were the implications that he was moving toward with us. One would think that the insights of Jesus, his parables, the events surrounding his death would bring him fame and renown for generations to come. And they have. They have. But curiously, in this, this uh, moment before the Athenian court, this isn't what he was pointing out. It got down to Jesus died, and then he rose again. Jesus rose from death. 
And this is where the conversation stopped. And this morning when we gathered as a volunteer huddle uh, in the lounge before you all got here, one of the things I said to, to our team was that Paul, the great orator, he speaks, I wish I could have heard him speak in person. He must have been amazing. But Paul did not see mass conversion after that conversation. After that, that place of defending himself in front of the court, he didn't see mass conversion after that. He saw one of the council and a, a, a woman that was a wife of one of the council members and several others that wanted to hear more and decided to follow Jesus because of his words. So I, I'm telling you that this morning and pointing that out because wherever you are in your life's journey, you're making an impact one way or the other. And when you speak the words of life and grace to people, when you live the way of Jesus in front of your peers, you may not see wholesale turning around and walking the other direction as is indicative of, of, of repentance. You may not see it immediately, but over time, you live your life out in front of your peers, your friends, your neighbors, your community. You live your life the way of Jesus. You follow his ways. You love your neighbor as yourself. And you will see, you will see over time. Our, our idea of how long it should take is one thing. God's timetable is far different. We wish he'd hurry up sometimes. I do. Get it done. Because sometimes... Our vision for people, the vision you and I have for those around us, is not their vision. And we can't. We can just, we can come in and we can, we can uh, influence them and we can point them the right direction. But unless Jesus comes and gives them a renewed mind and gives them a perspective that will shift their thinking, then you and I, then you and I are just encouragers up until that point. We move them along the best we can. Faith is experienced one at a time. Individual faith experiences are all different. But we're all together in this space right now. We're all online together. And our common faith commitment, though, must be to follow the way of Jesus, the risen Savior, the one that says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. Would you stand with me? One last thing I want to point out. When Paul was in front of the Athenians, he did not talk in terms of that they didn't understand. He took the things that were right in front of him, the things he could point out and say, this, this, oh, by the way, you have a God over here that has a, a name plate on it that says an unknown God. These were the things that were happening within the culture. He didn't embrace that culture, but he lived in the culture and brought Jesus to it. That is what you and I are called to do as well. Around here, we talk about speaking human. We want to speak in ways 
that uh, anyone walking through the doors can understand. This is part of what it means to embrace the culture. You want to turn somebody off? Go out there and talk like uh, King James Bible. Like, just, like if you start doing that, you're probably going to have people walking away from you. Talk in terms that they can understand that applies to the culture that we're living in. So where do you find yourself this morning? Are you faith-filled, faithless, or somewhere in between? Again, Philip Yancey, his quote, faith is trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. What are you believing for? What are you believing for? Where's your faith? Because we all have it. We all have faith. We have to decide what we're believing in. With that, I want to pray for us, and then we will uh, worship together. And during this song, um, there will be a few people up front for prayer ministry, and we want to um, just open that for you. You know, um, I said this a couple weeks ago. It bears repeating that we don't always feel like we need prayer, but maybe somebody in the room needs to see you come for prayer. And you might be surprised at what God does in that moment in your heart as you come. Father, we thank you this morning that uh, this word is uh, uh, it's powerful, not because it comes from me, but because it comes from uh, you. And Jesus, we're so grateful that you came as a representation of who we can be and who you've called us to be. So we choose today to open our hearts and minds again. And we believe that as we do so, you'll honor that and that uh, Holy Spirit, you will inform our next steps as we consider uh, what we've learned today, what we've heard today, what we've experienced, God, now we want to put that into practical, uh, practical ways in our lives. Help us to know what our next steps are and to be faithful people following hard after you. Would you guide and direct us as we step out into our world this week and all the ways that we can capitulate to fear and to wrongdoing. Help us instead to see through the filter of love. God, we're so grateful for your presence here this morning. We bless your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.